Matthew chapter 25 this morning, if you have a Bible. Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. Going to be looking at one of Jesus' more well-known parables. You know, I, um, <clears throat> I grew up a big fan of superheroes, right? The comics and the, uh, the cartoons and the TV shows. Um, so I'm, you know, I, I get all excited when the, the new movies come out and all that sort of stuff. I even watch the, the Flash TV show, and I can go full nerd in talking about superhero stuff uh, at any given moment. And, and if you've ever seen a superhero movie, and most people have, or kept up with a cartoon when you were a kid or something like that, Superman, Spider-Man, whatever it may be, there is a common struggle uh, that superheroes battle, and that is trying to figure out how to steward their abilities. They've got this unusual ability or abilities, and they, they want to steward them well, and they understand it comes with a responsibility, a pressure, and expectations. So in these movies and in these shows, and a lot of times that's what they're struggling with. It comes with the, the weight of stewardship. Now, no superheroes in the room this morning that I know of, um, <laughs> but I'm guessing while we don't have that, uh, every single one of us this morning deals with the common tension this morning of stewardship. And that is stewarding whatever God has placed into our lives well. So you have abilities and you have resources and you have opportunities as well as I do uh, that we need to steward. We've all seen someone with a ton of opportunity in their life and watched them waste it and sit back and thought, what a waste. What a wasted opportunity. In fact, most of us can look back at times in our lives and think about times we've been poor stewards of resources of opportunities that have been placed into our lives. If you've lived long enough to grow wise enough to recognize those moments in your past. Believers in Jesus have a unique stewardship. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, the Bible teaches that Christians actually belong to Jesus. That everything you are and everything you have is his. Our lives are not our own. Our stuff is not our own. Our resources, our gifts, our opportunities all belong to King Jesus, and we are stewards of what he places in our lives. In Matthew 25, Jesus is soon to go to the cross. He is preparing his disciples for this, and he's teaching them about his return and about the ultimate judgment day that's coming. And so he's teaching them sort of how to live as a kingdom citizen between his death, burial, and resurrection and his return and the ultimate judgment of the earth. That is the time period you and I live in. Jesus has come, he has died, he has been buried, and he has risen, and we await his return. And we await a new heaven and a new earth. And we await ultimately the judgment of the world. So how do we live in between here and there? Well, when you look at Matthew 25, you see all these parables. And they're all ultimately about one word, stewardship. Because the Christian life, as we wait on Jesus, is mostly about stewardship. When I, now, when we think stewardship, we tend to think money, right? Oh, it's a sermon on money. No, stewardship's about all of life, right? Money is one thing that we steward. We also steward our marriages and our jobs and our gifts and abilities and our opportunities for ministry and our time and our talents and our spiritual gifts. And we steward everything that God places in our life. So look with me at Matthew chapter 25. Jesus is going to tell us a parable that we're going to learn some principles about how to steward our life well. Matthew 25, starting in verse 14. <clears throat> Jesus says, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. So let's stop there. 
Jesus is describing that gap between his ascension and his return. And the man in the story entrusts his property to his servants. Whose property is it? It belongs to the man who's going away, right? Verse 15. To one, he gave five talents. To another, two. To another, one. To each, according to his ability. Then he went away. I'll stop there. Explain something. A talent in their day was a large sum of money. Some scholars say it was as much as 20 years worth of income for a common laborer, one talent. It has been estimated that as to, in today's numbers, that would be as much as $600,000 per talent. So note that all three of these people are not given the same, but they are all given tremendous amounts to steward, but it's given according to what? Their ability, okay? It's giving according to their ability. Verse 16. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So he's got ten talents now. <coughs> Verse 17. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master... You delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. At this point, each guy is now given account for what they've done while the master has been away. Two have doubled the large sums of money they've been given, but the one-talent guy simply held serve, so to speak. He didn't make anything. He didn't lose anything. He kept it hidden in hopes of simply not messing up too badly. That's how he lived his life. Verse 26, but his master answered him. He says to the one-talent guy, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So as this parable comes to a conclusion, we see how serious Jesus takes stewardship. The one talent guy is called wicked and slothful. Why? Because he's unfaithful. The other two are faithful. They're called good and faithful servants. Why is he unfaithful? Because he's unproductive and lazy. Notice what happens. What he has is taken away and given to better stewards. You say, well, that doesn't sound very fair. Whose talent was it? It's the owner's talent. It's the one that went away on the journey. That wasn't his talent to begin with. 
So he says, I'll take it and I'll give it to someone who will steward it well. So he gives it to the one with ten talents. Life for the Christ follower is about managing resources and opportunities that ultimately do not belong to us. It's about stewarding a life that doesn't belong to us because it has been purchased by Christ. Because on the cross, when Jesus died for us, and he died for our sins, and he rose again, he purchased us on the cross. The Bible tells us throughout the New Testament that we are not our own. We have been bought with a price. We belong to Christ. Christ is Lord of all. He has died and he has risen again so that he might be Lord of all. And so if you're a Christian this morning, you are someone who recognizes that and acknowledges that and desires to yield all of your life to Christ because you understand something, or you should, and that is that all of your life belongs to Jesus. So what do the talents represent here in this parable? The broadest scope would be all that God gives you and all that God gives me. So in that sense, it could be anything in our life. But notice in the story, the talents are given according to ability. In a sense, they seem to be the things we manage with the abilities God has given us. One pastor said it this way, it's our opportunities that are created in our life due to the abilities God has given us. But notice it's with the ability they've been given that they steward the talents. So even the ability to steward the talents has to be stewarded, right? They have to manage those abilities well in order to produce the profit. So really, it's a parable about stewarding your life and opportunities well. Your job, your marriage, your parenting, your ministry opportunities, your time, your money, because it's really all God's. It's the things you have in your life that you steward and are supposed to steward and that I'm supposed to steward for God's glory. So let me give you three principles of stewarding your life from this passage, okay, that we need to get our minds around this morning if we're to be good and faithful stewards. Number one, we need to understand this morning we are responsible for what God entrusts us with. We are responsible for whatever God entrusts us with. Notice, as we said, it's the owner's property, not the servant in verse 14. He, however, entrusts his property to these three servants. And being a steward is about first understanding I don't own, I manage. The relationships in my life, the resources, the job, the opportunities, if I belong to Jesus, they do, and I'm stewarding them for his glory. This means we're responsible. It means you can't avoid responsibility in the Christian life. That you are responsible for stewarding anything God places in your life. As am I. Verse 15, notice not everyone, as we said, is given the same stewardship. We're all responsible, but I'm not here this morning to steward your marriage, nor are you mine. I'm not here this morning to steward your opportunities in life, nor are you going to steward mine. We are responsible for what is placed in our life, not for more and not for less. The five-talent guy did not give an account for the two-talent guy. The two-talent guy did not give an account for the one-talent guy, and the one-talent guy didn't have to give an account for the five-talent guy. But they all gave an account for what was placed in their life for them to manage with the abilities that, the, that they had. Life is full of five-talent, two-talent, and one-talent people. We don't like to think about it that way. We like to think everybody's got 10,000 talents, and if you set your mind to it, you can use them however you want to. Right? That's what your mommy told you. One of my favorite shows is a, a, a family show called the, uh, the Goldbergs. 
And the mom on that show is always telling her kids how great they are. And the, one of the characters in it refers to it as her mom goggles. That she looks at them with mom goggles, right? And so the one thinks he's a better basketball player and rap star than he could be because his mom tells him those sort of things because she's wearing mom goggles. And, and all moms and dads wear mom goggles. Mom goggles are, tend to be a little bit thicker than the dad goggles. But they, we all wear those things, right? And so you tell your kid they can be anything they set their mind to. They can be a rocket scientist, and they can be president, and they can cure cancer, and they can solve all the world's problems if they just set their mind to it. And there's a lot that you can do if you set your mind to it. Hard work and discipline can accomplish a lot. But listen, everybody doesn't have the same ability. And it ain't honest to tell people that. That's what Jesus is saying. And he's saying, listen, some people might have more. Listen, some people are better than math, at math than other people. Some people are better at reading comprehension than other people. Some people, get this, are better at making money than other people. Some people are better at running businesses than other people. Some people are better at teaching than other people. Some people are better at speaking than other people. Some people are better at building things than other people or better with their hands than other people. Everybody's wired differently and everybody has different skill sets. And you're not responsible for doing what God has not entrusted you with, but you are responsible for maximizing what he has entrusted you with. You're responsible for using the abilities and the gifts and the talents, whether that's your natural ability or whether that's spiritual gifts that you get at conversion, to steward them in a way to maximize your opportunities in life for God's glory. And that's an important principle for us to get our minds around this morning. Because listen, imagine if you had a boss and he, can't, he comes to you and he says, Hey, Jane did, Jane, did you get all of Jill's work done? Would that be fair? No, of course not. In fact, Jane and Jill may have different responsibilities based on their ability, their education, and their experience. But they're both expected to do their job and are responsible for whatever's been entrusted to them. I don't ask Cannon if he's cleaned Eden's room or vice versa, unless they've messed up that person's room. In fact, I have different expectations for each one because one's four and one's two. Have you accepted responsibility for the life you've been given with all its opportunities and the God-given ability and supernatural spiritual gifts that God has given you to steward your life and opportunities? Have you accepted that responsibility? Now, here's a telltale sign. I believe that you haven't, if you haven't. Are you bitter about what you don't have? It's real easy for the one talent or the two talent, because most of us, that's where we live, to be bitter because we don't have the five talents. We all know the five talent people, all right? We work with five talent people. We struggle with jealousy and envy of five talent people. And if we live constantly looking at what others have and maybe even gifts and abilities they have or maybe opportunities they have that their gifts and abilities have helped present in their life and we constantly are jealous and envious and bitter is what grows out of that, then what we'll fail to do usually is accept responsibility for what has been placed in our life, for what we do have. We can't steward well what we don't take responsibility for. So we've got to accept responsibility. Number two, we are called to be faithfully productive with whatever God puts in our life. The guys that had five and two talents, they bring back ten and four, and they're lauded for it, right? They're encouraged for it. They're told, well done, good and faithful servant. And that is what we see that Jesus is showing us is the goal of true stewardship, faithfulness. They are called faithful. 
But notice how faithfulness manifests itself in this parable. You might look at the guy with one talent and say, he seems faithful. He didn't lose what was given to him. Because that's how we think about faithfulness. Not messing up too bad. We think of faithfulness as just protecting something. And there's a sense in which we're called to be faithful and to hold to the things we believe. (laughs) We're not looking to warp them or change them. We're just looking to hold to the truth of the gospel, the truth of God's word. But faithfulness here is about productivity and fruitfulness. We tend to think of faithfulness as hold on and not messing up, simply staying the course. But there is a faithfulness that's about staying true, yes, but here it's about more than that. There's a faithfulness that's about being productive and being fruitful. Here the word means literally reliable, trustworthy, or dependable. The idea is he did what a steward is supposed to do. He did what he could with what he had. That was faithfulness. If you hired a realtor to sell your house, and a year later they said, hey, I didn't lose it. Would you call that faithfulness? Well, no. Faithfulness there would be, did you use your skills and your work ethic and the market knowledge that you've gained to the best of your ability to sell my house? Faithfulness is about being productive when productivity is what is expected. The Christian life is about more than simply faithfully believing the right things. It's about productively, fruitfully living the implications of what you and I believe out in our life and its opportunities. It's about being productive for the kingdom of God in our jobs and in our marriages and our parenting and our time usage and our neighboring and in our relationships that God places in our life. It's about stewarding faithfully by doing so fruitfully. James, the half-brother of Jesus... They had different fathers. Um, In James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17, writes this. James says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also... Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. That's a passage that confuses a lot of people. A lot of false doctrines have been built on it. People say, see, you're saved. Here we are on the the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. You're saved, some people say, by grace, faith, and works. You're saved by grace, but it's through faith and works. And so you believe and you do and God justifies. And as a Protestant church... Baptist church, we believe that the Bible teaches, no, you're saved by grace through faith alone. But as James is telling us here, true saving faith is never alone. You're saved by grace through faith, but true saving faith produces works, or it's not real saving faith. It's dead faith. There's two kinds of faith. There's a living faith that produces fruit unto God, and there is a dead faith that produces nothing. And what James is saying is our faith should lead to faith-filled living. Faithfulness and fruitfulness in our life. Faithful stewardship is expected of all of us who believe on Jesus. I think Matthew Henry, the old commentator, was on to something when he said, we are all a lot like the unfaithful stewards. We all identify with the one-talent unfaithful steward to some degree or another. And there's a sense in which we all identify with him 
And it's only with the Holy Spirit's help that we can be faithful stewards like we're called to be. We need God's help to steward God's resources, opportunities, and things that he's placed in our life. Notice how the faithful stewards are rewarded. More responsibility. You have been faithful over a little, I'll set you over much. The first primary way they're rewarded is more responsibility. Like a promotion, right? He says, you've been faithful over a little, here's some more. That's what a good leader does, right? A good leader promotes a good worker. Could it be that there will be responsibility in the life to come rooted in our faithfulness in this life? I don't want to push the parable too far, but Jesus sure seems to be insinuating it. We tend to think of the life to come as laying on a cloud and playing a harp. So that sounds horrible. It does sound horrible, and it's not at all what eternity is going to be like. We're going to serve the king. We're going to live life. We're going to have relationships. We're going to know people, and we're going to do life, and we're going to do things, but without sin, without the presence of sin, without the touch of sin, without the hint or smell of sin anywhere in the atmosphere. It will be banished from that place. I want more responsibility. In eternity. The climactic point of the story, though, is the unfaithful servant, the one who wasn't faithfully productive. That's the guy Jesus wants you and me to zero in on and to identify with to some degree and examine our lives. It's the one talent guy who takes the talent and hides it in the ground, which was a common practice in that day. This is the guy that Jesus zooms in on and he shows us what unfaithfulness looks like. Why was he unfaithful? Because he wasn't productive. He kept the talent that was given to him, but he didn't produce any other. Why was he unproductive? He had a distorted view of his master that led to being paralyzed by fear. He thought of his master as a hard man, a cruel man, a man that you wouldn't want to work for. There's no reason to believe that other than the fact that this wicked guy, this wicked lazy guy says this, there's no reason to believe that this master was that way. In fact, the master's response is actually just a response of wisdom. Well, if that be true, shouldn't you have worked all the harder? He's not saying that it is true. He's saying, even if you thought that, even your excuse is a bad excuse. Because even the excuse you give should have motivated you to better stewardship. But instead, it was just an excuse when really you're just wicked and lazy. Selfish. Jesus wants us to know there's no such thing as a good excuse for bad stewardship. People that aren't faithful in the opportunities God gives us with our work and our family, our ministry, our money, and our time will make excuses many times to hide what is really our own fault because we don't want to own it. Ultimately, this guy is unfaithful because the master tells him he's wicked and slothful, which can mean lazy, but it can also mean shrinking and hesitant cowardly, timid, unwilling to risk, unwilling to sacrifice anything. He's unproductive, he's selfish, he's self-centered. Unwilling to risk, unwilling to sacrifice. Merely trying to get by without getting in too much trouble. Don't want to mess up too badly. Don't want to be punished. That's all he cares about. And that is no way to live the Christian life. 
You can't faithfully live the Christian life and steward the opportunities and the resources and the time and the gifts that God has given you or I if we're too fearful to seize the day, to make use of the opportunities God places in our life. The Christian life is not about mere survival and not messing up. It's about fruit bearing. It's about fruitfulness. All through the Gospels, that's what you see. The tree that doesn't bear fruit, what happens? It gets cut down and thrown in the fire. It's about fruitfulness. But man, we make it about it's not messing up. Not messing up. What does it look like for you to be faithful with the marriage God has given you? Be fruitful. What does it look like to be faithful and fruitful in parenting your children? What does it look like for you and I to be faithful and fruitful in stewarding our time? Right? You don't steward my time, I don't steward your time, steward our time. What would your office be like if we faithfully stewarded our jobs for God's glory? What does it look like for me and for you to faithfully engage our neighbors? What does it look like to faithfully steward the money and resources God places into our lives? Sometimes someone will say, well, if I had more money, I would do fill in the blank. And it'll be some ministry they would fund or something they would give to. But if we won't steward what God has given us now and well, what makes us think we'd steward it well if we had more? Jesus has told us a parable that sounds like just soon take away and give it to somebody else. We're supposed to be faithful with what we have. Oh, if I had this job, I'd, well, you have your job. Do that one. Oh, it's probably easy for them to love their spouse because their spouse is not like my spouse. Well, how about you be faithful and love the one God gave you? See what I'm saying? But it's so easy for us to cast everything over over here and make all these excuses. And Jesus is telling us this story to let us know we got to own it. We're called to be faithful and productive of what's been placed into our lives. What is, if anything, is keeping us from stewarding our opportunities for God's glory? Is it a wrong view of God? This guy had a wrong view of his master. Do you think of God as too hard to please? If you do, you won't try. You will for a while, but you'll burn out. In legalism, if you view God like some harsh miser instead of a loving father that's not going to motivate you to greater service. Listen, people who think that God is a jerk don't serve God more faithfully, at least not for long. Fear is nowhere near the motivator love is. I'd much rather my children know I love them than fear me. And in the gospel we learn that we serve God from a position of the fact that Christ has satisfied the righteous requirements of God. And though mountains may crumble all around us, God's love for me is sure and is certain. And so with God's help, we steward from a position of knowing God is our loving Father and everything that needs to be done to make us acceptable and pleasing in His sight has been done. So we serve from a position of God is pleased with me in Christ. I am loved. Not from a position of, man, it's hard to serve God. He's a big, grumpy grandpa in the sky that's going to smite me if I do something wrong today. That's not a motivation to steward well. How about fear? Oh, I'd give more money towards ministry endeavors, but insert your fear answer. I'd share my faith with my coworker, but insert your fear answer. I'd engage that ministry opportunity, but... Insert our fear answers. Fear of failure, fear of people, fear of loss. Fear is a faith killer. Fear is a stewardship killer. We are called to be wise 
But all true wisdom, we just spent 10 weeks in Proverbs, is bathed in faith. Wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. Which is all about our faith and trust and understanding who he is and orienting our life around him. We can't be faithful servants and fearful ones. We have to choose. If we take no risk, if we make no sacrifices for God, we may have a fear problem. Fear paralyzes us. Paralyzes us. Fear will keep you from doing anything. When I was a kid, I loved playing baseball. It's World Series time. Everybody's, you know, people that don't ever watch baseball are watching at least an inning or two a night now. And, um, like they get their 10 minutes in, hadn't watched baseball in 10 years. Oh, I'll watch 10 minutes a night, right? And I grew up playing baseball and loved baseball. And one thing I know, know about baseball, when you're a kid, one thing a lot of kids struggle with is being afraid of the ball. For good reason, because if you get hit with it, it hurts. I was hit with quite a few. But if you're standing in the batter's box and the fastball's coming and you're afraid of it, you know what you will not do usually? Swing the bat. You'll hope for the walk. Four balls, you get to go to first base. If you're playing second base and a line drives hit at you and you're afraid of the ball, you know what you won't do? Try to move and catch it. You'll try to get out of the way of it or you'll just be paralyzed. Fear paralyzes us in anything. Relationships, you name it. When you're really afraid, it's, you know, sometimes you'll just kind of paralyze. And it's the same way in the Christian life. If we live our life bound up in fear, of all these things that could happen, are bound up in fear of people, fear of man, that's a big one, we will be spiritually paralyzed and we will not bear the fruit that we could. We will not steward well. The big point of this third servant, the one-talent guy, is that he just didn't steward well. He wasn't faithfully productive. That was the bottom line. And the question is simple. Are we faithfully being productive with the opportunities in life God has given us or are we regularly making excuses? Are we fueled by faith or paralyzed by fear? Are we diligent or are we slothful? And that brings us to the third thing we need to get our mind around this morning. Number three, we will be held accountable for our stewardship. In the end, all three servants were held accountable for what they were responsible for. All three of them. There's coming a day when each of us will give an account of our lives to God. And we should long to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. But many on that day may hear what the unfaithful servant did. Look with me again at verses 28 through 30. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless, worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For the believer, the life to come in heaven with God is going to be more full and more rich than we can possibly ever imagine. And for the unbeliever, the one who wastes their life, who may even make a profession that they are a servant of the king, but by their lifestyle prove by their poor stewardship, prove that they're not, they will reap judgment for their sin. I think Jesus is trying to show us here that our stewardship has eternal implications. In the gospel, Jesus always wants us to see what's done in this life matters in eternity. Right? 
Don't lay up treasures on earth. Lay up treasures where? In heaven. All through the Gospels, Jesus is trying to get our eyes on eternity because what's done here matters there. And the way we steward our lives reveals our true relationship with the king. If we live our life our way and not his way, asking what we want but not what he wants, if we refuse to leverage our life, our gifts, or opportunities for the sake of Christ and his kingdom, we have every reason to wonder if we're really his servant. Faithless stewardship sprouts from a faithless heart. And faithful stewardship sprouts from a faith-filled heart. How we steward our time, our talents, our treasures, our opportunities reveals our priorities, which reveals our heart. One of the titles of the Messiah in the Old Testament is the servant of God. That's Jesus, the Messiah, the servant of God. He came and faithfully stewarded all that the Father asked. Fulfilled the mission he was sent to accomplish. Living the righteous, sinless life. Dying for our sins. Rising again. And as believers, we have been redeemed by him. So we're not, so we serve not to try and earn our way with God, but out of worship and gratitude because we love God and have been saved by God. And when that doesn't exist in a heart, it will show up in a life. Life will continue to be lived by our standards. Other passions and desires will continue to rule our hearts and lives. And we will show ourselves to be wicked and slothful, not true servants of the king. Maybe this morning, you need to trust the servant of God, King Jesus. Maybe you need to confess that on your own, you don't have the strength or power to live life God's way because we don't. None of us do. Maybe today you need to admit your need for a Savior and you need to turn to Christ. Or maybe, believer, today we need to ask, what kind of steward am I? Whether I've been given five talents or two talents or one talent, what am I going to do with what God placed in my hands? Am I stewarding it well? Am I faithful? Am I paralyzed by fear? Unwilling to risk? Unwilling to sacrifice? Maybe today we need to confess our unfaithful stewardship in some areas. Maybe today we need to ask God for help and strength to be faithfully productive with whatever he has placed in our life. And as a church, North Park, we have a corporate stewardship that we steward together called North Park Baptist Church. And as a body, we need to be faithful with whatever God places in our hands, not ruled by fear, by sloth, by misplaced priorities, because we are going to give an account to the true king, the true senior pastor, the true lead elder of North Park, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we aren't responsible for the things that we haven't been entrusted with. But we are very responsible for the things we have. How will we steward our moment? Our little grain of sand in the scope of eternity, because that's all it is. How will we steward our moment as North Park, in Orlando, in Baldwin Park, in these days, these months, these years. Not how will we steward 1972. It's gone. It ain't coming back. Not, I'm not even thinking about 2072. That's too far ahead to think about. How are we going to steward our little slither of time right here, right now? Will we be faithful or fearful? Faithful or faithless? Faithful or slothful? Faithful or selfish? Faithful or distracted by a lot of other things? 
We're to be faithful stewards of Jesus' church here at North Park. This ministry, this moment. We got to realize, first of all, it's not ours, it's his, but we have a responsibility. And that means everything must be on the table. The goal is to do what the good stewards did. They were given two talents or five talents or whatever. But when the master came back, they had more. Because they had been faithful and productive. Hiding our opportunities in the ground so we don't mess up too bad isn't a strategy. It's a surrender. We've got to be faithful stewards. What does that mean? It means a lot of different things. but It just means that our posture has to be it's not mine, it's his. And we'll do whatever it takes to be faithfully productive of what he's given us. Not living to simply not mess up too bad. To not blow it. To not fail. But living to bear fruit. Let's pray.